All right. Well, good morning, gentlemen. Y'all doing all right this morning? Good morning. Doing good. Fine. Good, good, good. Well, how was your Lord's Day yesterday? Y'all tell me about it. I know uh, we were all at different small groups, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, Marvin, we'll start off with you. How was yours? You were at uh, the Finchers small the group. Finchers, yeah, yeah. Uh, due to various factors, uh, we were kind of small last night, uh, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, we had a, a good discussion. Uh, I think we fleshed out pretty well the uh, imp- the difference between the office of an evangelist and uh, and uh, the uh, the gift of evangelism, if you want to put it like that, which is uh, which is a, an ongoing thing. It's not a sign gift. Uh, it's a, it's a gift that, uh, that is used in the church today. So we talked about that and ended with a very practical discussion of the needs of ourselves to be evangelists. So it was a good evening. Great. Great. Mike, how about you all? Uh, it was good. It was a good discussion. Uh, and the, uh, the, the, just the, how you presented and it just the the biblical office uh, uh, contrasted against that of the just the uh, uh, evangelism today the difference and and how you went through and walked through why those why that those offices didn't exist and the what what really drove home and we discussed in our small group was you know when you look at the in the the New Testament there are no you know there are no qualifications for those offices listed. And uh, so, I mean, it, it was a, 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 a good and a good discussion following, uh, following uh, uh, the message in our, in our luncheon that we shared together. But I mean, it was, it was good. Uh, and we, yeah. I think everybody was edified and, and, uh, and uh, or their eyes were, uh, I guess the eyes and the, the heart were opened up to the uh, more understanding of the offices versus just the, the role of uh, evangelism. And, and how we do it. And they brought up, you know, and I kind of mentioned it, but they didn't really, didn't really go too much in depth. But when we look at a, at a church that, you know, I asked the rhetorical question, okay, as a church, uh, can we, what, what can I, what does it look like when a church says it's an, uh, yeah, it's an evangelistic church, you know, and, and how does that, how can we apply that in the community in which we, we currently exist? And I said, and they're different, ways to look at that and different ways to approach it, but it's something I think that we as a, as a body, local body need to look at and consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I know, you know, with, with this message, I mean, even for me, as I, as I prepared it and I mean, I've, yeah, I, I've been, like I said, I've been looking at this for like two weeks and trying to study it and just trying to, you know, take uh, positions that I had some of the, the by default and, and I was challenged on some and I had to kind of shift on some. So I know that maybe even in those discussions, you know, there were others who took you know, a different you know, viewpoint of, of the issue than, than I did. And, uh, and, and, and that's good. I think that's where we need to be charitable. I think we need to be humble. Uh, uh, the great men that I read are on different sides of it. So, uh, but, but at the end of the day, uh, all of them were saying that as far as an office that is continuing like the office of apostle, like the office of prophet, that, that, that is not happening. So even the ones who would hold that there is a a continuing office would, would kind of redefine it sort of like how we would just define it. Someone has a gift of evangelism today, yet they would, they would say that it is a continuing office, but that's the kind of 
person that is in that office as as opposed to you know someone who is a a miracle working or prophetic type person or one of these yeah. like you said marvin with it with sign gifts yeah sign gifts i think that's the big distinction there uh yeah i'm i'm with you on that if you want to call that an office uh and you want to show you and you want to show your show you quote signs off <laughs> knock yourself out brother <laughs> that's right that's right i mean we're all good on that yeah yeah so uh, anyway, well, uh, let's, oh, an interesting thing that, that happened at the end of our small group yesterday, uh, there was a discussion that came up uh, about beard balm, B-A-L-M. Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you enjoy that one. I know. Yeah. So uh, it was. Dripping uh, beards. Yeah. It was Mike uh, Quintas and, uh, and, and Will Witten, uh, Brooke was there and Stephen Pyatt course steven he's got that big you know war type beard and well, uh, i really i mean I've, I've i've meant forever to pull up a picture of bh carroll but he <laughs> yeah. he is a dead ringer for bh carroll i'm gonna do that one day and we and, we had to do that yeah definitely yeah. but i told him i said, I said yeah i got home I, I texted him i said you guys should start up a podcast and you could ca- call it bible bombs and beard bomb yeah get it the two sure. different spelling bombs b-o-m-b-s and bomb b-a-l-m anyway that's yeah. that's my shot at humor which is not very good as you can tell well, I, anyway. I don't I, I don't have enough of a beard to worry about bomb so i will listen to that gladly marvin you are the og beard wearer in well, i have race. had one for a long time i had one for probably maybe longer than anybody else uninterrupted that is i know that steven Stephen regularly shaves his, and it seemed like three days later, it's down to the Absolutely. It's amazing can, how you can do Duke, that. Duke can, can grow a beard. I know. I know. Yeah. You need to one day give yourself license to go BH Carroll with yours. Yeah. Get, get, it, get it down I, to like I, the I tried chest. that, but my hair is so curly, kinky that the beard uh, just. It, instead of going down, it kind of goes out. I guess eventually it would it would go down, but I don't well, according know. to these beard bomb experts, that sounds like that's that that would solve your problem. Like they well, got I need to, to listen to it, go, go okay. down and get the code and everything. Well, so I, I need to i i need to, <laughs> I, I need to uh, I need to be a gnostic on that. Then I need to seek out these brothers. <laughs> there you that, go. Get that knowledge. There you go. All right. Well. Let's move from beer bomb to how about gods that are not God? Uh, uh, so we have three chapters to talk about today, which is very good because normally for some reason we're, we're backed up yeah. in our podcast. We don't, we don't back up in our reading. We try not to slow down in that. Uh, but we do get backed up in our podcast. And for the last few times we've had to, to do six chapters at a shot. So today we're only having to do Three, which is wonderful that allows us to dig in a little deeper with our time and so basically uh the first chapter that we're going to talk about is um well he, he titles it what i just said gods that are not so he's going to talk about uh false views of god false you know uh, doctrines of god beliefs of god and then he's going to go into sort of the doctrine of god proper he's going to talk about uh god's spirituality and uh and i know even when i read that god's spirituality i was like oh that sounds a little fuzzy but basically just talking about god as spirit but but the chapter before it i think frames it very well yes absolutely it really does absolutely absolutely and then in the last chapter we're gonna uh look at uh he's gonna talk about a, a very uh interesting doctrine uh can be a very 
complicated doctrine to wrap your head around, which is the doctrine of divine simplicity. So, so let's kick it off. We'll spend a little time on the first chapter and then maybe dig in a little bit more on the other two chapters. So when he talks about gods that are not, and, and, and Marvin, we may need to sort of throw back on you on this. I know you had years and years of teaching world religions and things like that, yeah. but uh, he basically breaks it down into these sections of uh, atheism, and, and we can define these, but atheism, polytheism, pantheism, right. panentheism, right. and then he talks about finite theism, and then uh, and then he he applies all of these things. So so let's just start at the top. Uh, I'll throw it over to you, Mike, just to begin with. Uh, pretty easy one. Atheism. What are we looking at with atheism, and what's uh, how do people live in that? that mindset that mold how do they try to carry out that that true belief what is it and and then how do how, how do people live with that because it seems like it's very difficult to truly live in a world that god created believing that there really is no god <laughs> well, well basically you said it atheism is the belief in no god that they live without a divine dependency uh they're, that they're free from a divine leadership that uh um <clears throat> that that um they just uh, they just do uh, I guess they 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 uh, they exist and uh, have no consideration uh, of, of of any uh, divine influence uh, in their lives. However, you know the general tendency of man is that the man does worship something or have they do have an idol that they uh, that they uh, for like better words they gravitate to and. That they that they worship, but they may not see it as worship, but that's what it really is. Uh, and then uh, he goes into in this chapter, he goes into the various forms of atheism. And one thing that he brought up that I thought, you know, he, he talked about the secular humanism. Uh, and you know, I I'd never thought of uh, this, uh, but I, you know, I've, I've been reading about it. But in, he made it clear it's like the study of humanities and the study of humanities generally they tie into the Christian faith. And the thing that I thought was very interesting here is that all, you know, look at all these forms, you know, atheism and the others that we'll discuss, and they, they have uh, uh, creeped their way into the lives of, uh, of our culture, and we may not realize it. And, and that was one of the things I was going to highlight the benefit of this chapter is it really does highlight that there are uh, idols out there that, that have been ingrained in our culture that we may have fallen prey to just because we see them every day. We were raised in that culture where they were. And uh, we need to be aware of that. And, and it's, a, it's a sin. And God said, you know, you, we worship him only. So, uh, and I, so I thought that was very interesting. But uh, again, atheism is no God. How do they live? I don't know. I mean, I couldn't live. I mean, you, you look around in the world and you see things and it just didn't happen by accident. You know, it was a, it was according to a, to, to a supreme God, a divine God. Right, right. And especially you think about the morality issue. I mean, if there if there is no God, then there is no divine standard for morality. Yeah. Now, morality is just uh, up for grabs. So it almost well, it's a power sounds- play is what Nietzsche says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think it goes back to uh, uh, focus on self, you know, and I, I focus on um, uh, a lot of pleasures uh, that mm. that that, that uh, they they enjoy, and as long as they're feeling good and everything's good, they have they have no concern for any any uh, moral uh, uh, responsibilities or moral uh, 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 
what they're doing is immoral. You know, it's a it's a sin. It's a sin. Right. Holy God. So right, right. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you know uh, we agree upon our morality by cultural consensus, and that can change. So, yeah. so I mean, we're we're seeing that in our land right now. Whereas it, it, it was a no brainer that. When you talk about something so uh, dark and depraved and sinful as pedophilia, of course that's sinful. Of course that's evil. But now in our culture, we're starting to get on the fringes where people are starting to visit it in a different way. I mean, I just I just read a, a story that came across my newsfeed uh, yesterday evening about uh, a play that uh, that they put on somewhere in I think New York. And basically it was about, you know, these uh, people who were pedophiles talking about how the culture has disdain for them and how, you know, why can't they be accepted? So, so again, I mean, if, if, if you don't have a God and you don't have a divine standard and it's just cultural consensus, well, we all agree this is bad for now, it may not be bad, but you know, in, in, in a decade from now. And so uh, again, you know, it's just difficult to live. I would say not too impossible to live as an atheist without actually having to borrow from a Judeo-Christian worldview where there are some absolutes and some norms that, that are yeah. there. So, uh, so let's move on from there. And Marvin, this is probably where we need to fall uh, upon you and your, your knowledge and expertise, but talking about some of these other different things, uh, polytheism, uh, he talks about folk religion, which is animism, Hinduism, Mahayana, I don't even know if I pronounce it right. Mahayana. But yeah, Buddhism, uh, Spinozism, uh, Hinduism, Taoism, New Age movement. Uh, brother, you, you were teaching all of this for years, weren't you? Yeah, um, in some form. Yeah. <laughs> so you can give us just a thumbnail sketch of maybe some of them or all of them, if you want to, or just kind of just splash them out there. So we get a taste of, uh, of what they are and why they are gods that are not God going back to Beaky's title. Right. Well, polytheism of course, uh, <clears throat> means the, means the, the belief in, and the worship of multiple gods, uh, it is something that is not unique to any generation. Obviously, it is something that was even found in the ancient Near Eastern world. Um, archaeologists are all the time uncovering uh, different types of things. But one point that Beaky makes here uh, is that even though it is a phenomenon, uh, it almost always uh, uh, it almost always finds itself in the belief in the in the, in the uh, worship of or the practical uh, devotion to one deity. Mm-hmm. And he, he says that that's the way, that's the way it is with, uh, uh, with uh, the, the major world religions, uh, animism in particular. Uh, it's one that we find that's uh, native uh, to the United States in terms of uh, what we would call na- Native Americans or what we used to call um, Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, this belief that uh, spirits inhabit inanimate objects, uh, that there is such an active spiritual world that um, in a sense, they're concealed to us. We don't see them, um, which again is, uh, uh, is something that I think in a modified form, the Christian Christians would agree with as well. There is an active spiritual world around us uh, that is, that we can't see, uh, and as a, for good and bad, 
mainly for bad, but, but for good as well. Uh, the, the distinction of animism, however, is that it does believe that, uh, that these, that these, uh, that these spirits, uh, do inhabit, uh, different objects and certainly inanimate, but also they're usually, uh, is usually is accompanied by ancestor worship as well. Uh, the belief, I know animism and also, uh, uh, Taoism uh, and Chinese religion actually uh, have this as a tenet. Uh, Japan even more so, actually, um, in that uh, the ancestors that have passed on uh, are not only present to us in spiritual form, of course, they're invisible, uh, but that they also actively rule the lives of individuals. And that's why a large part of the worship is actually uh, altars that are set up to the ancestors and a regular off on a regular offering of incense and so forth in order to appease the ancestors believing that uh, to get them angry uh, or to uh, unsettle them in any way is to invite uh, bad consequences or karma or or whatever in into into their lives uh, he makes the uh, the point he makes the point of Hinduism and Mahayana Buddhism uh, Buddhism is uh, is uh, distinguished between Mahayana and, and Theravada. Uh, the Theravada, I, I think, is uh, characterized usually as the broader as the broader path of uh, of Buddhism. Uh, Buddhism actually is actually comes from Hinduism. Uh, Gautama, the Buddha himself, was actually a, a Hindu for years and found it unsatisfying. And so he actually came to the point where he sits under the legendary Bodhi tree and does not move until he contemplates it. And then he sees really uh, that man's chief problem is desire, that it's mm. desire that actually uh, is impedes our progress as individuals because desire always leads us to be dependent on something else uh, and to, and it drives our energy and our focus outside of ourselves. And so uh, the Buddha would say, uh, well, at least the at least the narrower version of it would uh, that uh, that the the object of life is to is the cessation of desires. Uh, that is uh, that we reach a point where desires uh, where desires are no longer control us, and we ultimately become free from them. Uh, then at that point, then in the cycle of rebirth, then it that results in. Uh, what they would call nirvana, that is the complete release from desires. And, and, and like Hinduism, in a sense, like an absorption into the world, into the world's soul, mm -hmm. to the degree that Buddhism actually is, has a, uh, a, an idea of gods. And, and you see this more in Theravada and uh, or Mahayana in the, in the broader view of, of Buddhism. Uh, it, uh, it, it uh, adopts or it, it leans into the Hinduism more in a sense that, it invites uh, images uh, of the Buddha and, and and other types of religious relics like this in order to draw uh, in order to draw them into worship. Uh, Hinduism itself is polytheistic by definition. I mean, it believes in a multiplicity of uh, in a multiplicity of of deities. Uh, but again, I mean. They are, in essence, spirit guides to us, if you want to put it like that. Uh, they also have the goal of releasing us from the cycle of rebirth. 
uh, if you have not come to the point in meditation, meditation uh, is not the cessation of desires. Meditation is uh, the uh, deliberate knowledge of the fact that you have been released from the cycle of rebirth uh, and that you have, uh, in, in essence, the, uh, the goal is to become one uh, with, uh, with the universe. So in that sense there, even though I think Beaky would say, even though they're polytheists, uh, they actually have, they actually have a, uh, a view of a world spirit. Uh, uh, the one is an Atman, as they would say, which is the, uh, which is the goal, um, uh, of the cycle of rebirth of a place of enlightenment of a place to where, uh, you are detached and aloof from the world. Um, and attaining, uh, attaining this is actually the highest form. And those who have attained it actually become the Brahmin or the priest or the, the spiritual guides. That's why I don't know so much. So I guess if we ever go to India, we'll find maybe, but, uh, uh, but, uh, that's why you have the mendicant priests that wander from place to place, uh, being free, being free from support and all that. Basically they give themselves uh, to, uh, to teaching enlightenment and they, in essence, act as guides along the way. Um, so the polytheism in that sense, then obviously is, obviously is the belief in various deities, but it does boil down to whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism, it does boil down to a higher, to a higher, uh, view. Ultimately, uh, we're all guides to the place to where, um, we're not eternally worshiping various deities, but actually we come to the place to where we are released from that. Another aspect of Hinduism, uh, is the, um, is the frequent, uh, religious celebrations. Uh, one thing you find in, in Indian culture is that if you're there for any time, and, and again, a lot of this depends on the village as well, just like animism does, by the way, um, and that's what makes Hinduism so hard to nail down is it's whenever it's practiced on an individual or a local setting, it, it, it's flexible, it's fungible. I mean, it, it changes. Uh, and so you get a, attention to various things, but what you find locally is that there is a constant parade, a procession of, uh, of a, of a ritual celebration, which usually amounts to a parade and uh, dancing and other forms of uh, worship like that of, uh, of a particular deity. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're looked at for protection. They're looked at for favor. They're looked at for any number of different things, which again is where Hinduism as a pure religion has always been difficult, uh, to nail down in its highest expression. It is like Buddhism in its narrow expression. It is basically a metaphysical, uh, uh, climb, uh, into non-being. Uh, in other words, believing that life, life is, life is terrible. <laughs> uh, and, uh, the, the goal is actually, uh, by meditation usually. And in the case of Buddhism by behavior, actually the, uh, actually, actually the, uh, uh, the eightfold wheel of, of Buddha in a sense that, uh, it's derived by ethical, by ethical behavior, uh, which ghost answer the question you had about how to uh, how do you act in a in a case like that um but that is uh but that is uh the polytheism there i didn't know if you wanted to get into pantheism or uh, yeah you actually you did i see spinzoism there 
pantheism is the belief that God is, uh, that God is in everything and everything is God. Uh, it makes no distinction between, uh, the material and the spiritual world, uh, believing that God is a world spirit that inhabits all of this. So to grab a piece of that then is really to grab God himself. Uh, Spenzoism is the form of that, uh, uh, Beaky says it's the philosophical system of pantheism that saw God as the absolute infinite that encompasses all being. God is the indwelling cause of all things, operating by sheer necessity. Um, and he goes on to say, I believe in, uh, and this is, by the way, on 591, I believe in Spinoza's God who reveals himself. Uh, and this is what Einstein said, by the way. Uh, people, people get all people get all excited when Einstein affirms his belief in God. I mean, it's qualified by this statement. Einstein mm -hmm. says, I believe in Spinoza's God who reveals himself in the orderly humanity of what exists, not in a God who concerns himself with, uh, with, uh, fates and, and actions of human beings. So in other words, uh, God is a great idea. Uh, and, right. to, the, and to the degree uh, to, 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 uh, uh, to a scientist like him, Einstein's great goal was to find a, a unifying, a unifying, a unified field theory. Uh, that is something that in physics or mathematics or, or some endeavor like that would actually find the unifying factor of all life. Um, and that was, uh, really a large part of his pursuit of the special and general, uh, principles of relativity is the fact that he wanted to find something that whether it's here or whether it's in the most distant distant galaxy, distant, uh, astral bodies, whether it's something that unifies r reality. And in that sense, then I could see where Spinoza's view would be very, would be very, uh, very popular to him. Um, he goes on then and talks about how Hinduism, even though it's polytheistic, uh, in devotion, he says it's pantheistic in thought, which is kind of what I was saying. So I won't, I won't repeat that, uh, in its devotion, it expresses itself in the worship of many deities, uh, in, in its more noble thoughts, which again, uh, on the common level, you don't see so much. We must understand that all these world religions, uh, never, never attain to the highest goals of their founders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, in other words, they're a great idea until you put them into practice. Uh, but again, uh, the, the goal of, of Hinduism uh, is worship of many gods and devotion, uh, but pantheistic in thought in the sense that the ultimate goal of life is to be released from, uh, from the chain of existence, or in the case of Buddhism, uh, the narrow Buddhism from, uh, sorrows uh, and to be absorbed into the world. soul. uh, and in that sense, they do believe that ultimately, uh, pantheistic God is everything and everything is God. Uh, and so in that sense, then, uh, um, I think, and this is something that, that Mike explained as well. And, and I don't know, we, we probably will get into it. Um, I'll, uh, I'm going on here, but let me uh, conclude with two things. Let's talk about Taoism. And then let's also talk about how uh, Hinduism and not so much the polytheistic devotion, but also in its uh, monistic um, uh uh, worldview, uh, how it's affected us as well. Uh, Taoism is, um, uh, a, a form, uh, and again, he, he has this on 592. It originates in China, uh, where it again is, uh, what he would classify as, a as a pantheistic religion in the sense that it, 
that it sees God in everything, uh, but it identifies uh, God specifically in this principle of male masculine energy and feminine energy or what he calls the yin and the yang. Uh, and as such, then, uh, the goal of life is by instruction uh, and veneration of, of the ancestors as well, uh, because they play an active part in this as well. Uh, that is to find that, that delicate balance in our lives uh, that affirms uh, those, that masculine and uh, feminine, that masculine and feminine ener energy. Uh, and the balanced life and the successful life is one that blends those two. Um, uh, you see this. Um, uh, you see this again uh, in, in something that we sometimes joke about, uh, but uh, this concept of feng shui, uh, which uh, you know we jokingly talk about. Um, I, I know I do, uh, uh, maybe because I'm a geek. But uh, you go into somebody's <laughs> apartment, and you know they have the couch over here in the corner, and the TVs across, and you know they have chairs. And somebody comes in, man, I don't like the feng shui of this room, which means that it does not maximize the energy. It doesn't balance the yin and the yang in, in, in a way. Just even the, the, way, the way you arrange your living area is an energy source. And again, I, I mean, that's the, that's the part of this is it's a basically uh, it's trying to, again, to absorb uh, energy to live in a directed way to where you're energized by the vital forces of the universe uh, and something even as even as uh, simple as how you arrange your living quarters uh, is something that matters because uh, to do it uh, is to plug into a source of energy that is helpful uh, in daily life not unlike the Indian versions of this it's not looking for uh, a release or anything like that uh, but it does, but it does affirm, and we get into this later, uh, this idea of emanation, that there is an ultimate good, and then everything basically is a step down or an emanation from that. And then finally, he talks about the New Age uh, movement and how that is related to American thought. And this is all, something that's always fascinated me uh, is because, uh, and he deals with this actually later uh, in a much more fully way, uh, full way, uh, as he talks about. Uh, it, and I think uh, provides a very good analysis of American Christianity or, or American religious life in this. Uh, but this idea here is that uh, he says on the top of 593, uh, actually starting at the bottom of 592, he says this diverse movement is marked by the eclectic appropriation of Hinduism, Taoism, astrology, and Native American spirituality mingled with, and this is the important part, this is what moderates it. American individualism, pragmatism, and commercialism. Uh, so it's interesting how, uh, as a guiding principle, you hear this all the time. You hear it in popular culture, particularly on the West Coast, uh, where Mike and you both, Van, have just said the practical implications of a false belief in God work themselves out in some way. Mm -hmm. But what we find here is that uh, in the American version of this, uh, there is this idea of, uh, of reincarnation, of rebirth. Um, the true form of the, the true form of rebirth in Hinduism uh, leaves open the possibility that depending upon your choices and your actions in life, you don't necessarily you're not necessarily reborn into a higher form. You may actually devolve. You may actually go in the other direction. Again, it takes very strictly 
give it credit. It takes very strictly uh, the actions of life in regard to uh, the ultimate goal of release, a release from life, a release in the, in the Buddhist version, at least from sorrow and suffering. The American, however, uh, never looks at it like that. Uh, if you're reborn, it's always, it's always to a higher form or an, or a convenient form. Um, uh, again, uh, we hear this all the time, not just in Hollywood, but which I think was a, a great, a great uh, propagator of it. Uh, but you, you, you hear this, sadly enough, you hear this even in Christian homes in the fact that, uh, I can, I can feel grandma with me, uh, or, um, uh, there is a, um, uh, there's a bird, there's a bird that lights on my uh, windowsill every morning and wakes me up just like grandma used to do. Uh, grandma is in her spirit anyway, is, is in that bird. Uh, and so in that sense, then there, there, there is that, that animism in the sense that, uh, that God in whatever form uh, works to our advantage, whether it's a, a lower form, higher form or whatever, uh, it is always progressive. It's always evolutionary progressive. Really? I mean, we, we, we might, I don't want to get into political theory here, but we must understand progressivism in this, uh, in, in this context uh, is this idea that it is evolutionary at, at its core. Uh, and that it does believe in a progressive in a progressive improvement of the human race, uh, regardless of the consequences of our actions. Uh, again, it is a, an amalgamation of a corrupted science into a corrupted Eastern worldview uh, in terms of the interplay of the unseen with the seen, but always ultimately, uh, uh, emptying into self, uh, self-realization or self-actualization for us. It's always for our benefit. Uh, and that's why it's worth the effort to, uh, uh, to cross your legs, to circle your fingers, to, to, uh, to utter a, a harmony as Buddhism teaches a harmonic convergence with, with, uh, with the one, uh, in terms of the ohm or some other sound you get the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, sounding bowl from from uh, from Buddhism as well, which whenever you circle it or whatever you do, produces a, a harmony actually uh, that connects with the spirit and again is uh, is a settling influence. And in they do all this actually to actualize what in essence is their own desires. I mean, and that's what idolatry ultimately is. All yeah. this is just a fancy idolatry, is what it is. Uh, but it it maintains the veneer of ancient world religions uh and as such it's mysterious uh it's inaccessible uh, i mean it's accessible in the sense that it feeds into our desires for self-improvement uh but it really does not provide any any moral any moral reasons or ethical grounds upon which to engage in it because whatever you do whatever you do uh it's always going to be for your benefit uh, it's always going to result in your best life now. Uh, and that's ultimately the ground of it as well. So that's, uh, that's kind of a summary of, of that particular section, I think. I appreciate that Marvin. And I, and I think like, like you said, I mean, you know, they're pursuing their desires right. true, but I think what makes it so difficult and ultimately, you know, just soul crushing is what you said earlier, you know, that they can never, 
live up to the ideals of, of their founders. I mean, exactly. even their founders couldn't do that as well. So ultimately, I mean, you're just striving and striving and striving, but you're just striving after the wind. You can never catch it. You're always chasing it, always going to, to, to try to get it, but, but, but you're not there. And, and, in and the, the, the bit of this I've read, a lot of it is so vague, you know, it I, is. I was, I was having a conversation with some of the, uh, folks at, uh, at, um, community group yesterday talking about some of these works based types of, uh, religions and things like that. And, and I just pointed out to them that, you know, if, if I bought into that, I, I would really want to know, okay, if, if my eternal soul, my eternal destination depends on this, you got to tell me right where I am on this spectrum. If you, if you've got a, uh, an ideology of what we see a lot in our area, our land, you know, my good works outweigh my bad works. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got eternity on the line here. You need to tell me by how much are my good works outweighing my bad works. And in what context is that? I mean, who, where's the metric, where's the measurement, you know, in in that, because again, look what we've got on the line. And it's same here. It sounds like with these world religions, I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, what, what you're going after is in some of them is vague. Some are not, some are well-defined, but, but to get there, I mean, they'll, they'll name a process or uh, a quote unquote thing you have to do, but in, in the doing of it, what, what are the details of, okay, you've completed yeah. this, you've done it exactly the way you should have. And, and, and does it even get to the heart and mind and yeah. motivations, you know, not, not that you did the thing the way right. you should have, but you had the correct attitude toward it, right. correct desires as you right. did the thing. If I uh, can, yeah, if vague. I can, yeah, if I can interrupt briefly here, yeah. uh, that always struck me in Hinduism is the fact that, uh, those who have reached the Brahmin caste or those who have reached this level of enlightenment, uh, who are the mendicants, the beggars, so forth. Uh, there always is that lingering question is, uh, it's always self-attested. <laughs> that is, uh, you say I've reached enlightenment there, as you say, there is no measurement for that. Uh, what, what do we see as a result of that? Well, you see it in a humble lifestyle and one that disdains all the, all the riches and all the supports of the world and so forth. Uh, and basically you're living off other people, uh, when in essence, you're living off the universe, if you want to put it like that, but that's the key there is, is that even in that, at least it's, it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. And again, that's where the caste system of India uh, was not only uh, clearly defined this, uh, but it was also devastating uh, in terms of trying to, th- this kind of upward mobility we see in American society, which is why Amer- uh, Americans took it over and made it progressive, made it optimistic. But uh, this idea, it, it's always self-attested. And there are no, as Van, as you say, no external standards to measure this. You just take the word of this and you say, okay, I've, re- I, 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 I've reached, I've reached this level of enlightenment. Uh, I gathered around, uh, I'm a guru in that sense. I, I gather around disciples and I teach them, uh, what I've learned in, in that, in that sense then. Uh, and it's a, um, um, it's, it's a, it's a, as you say, it's a devastating cycle circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Hey brother, I'm disadvantaged on two of the biggies. Uh, I can't be a Hindu cause I like steak. 
Exactly. And I can't be a Buddhist because I'm too inflexible to cross my legs. So yeah, you'd have to work on that, man. You guys see the chiropractor more often. <laughs> I know. Get that's on out. you. That, that's on you. That's one. That's one of the eightfold paths of the Buddha. There. Uh, there you go. If you if you can't cross your legs, see so chiropractor. Oh my goodness, <laughs> no, I'm just Mike. You got me. anything to say here before we move on to the one true God, which is the one we really want to focus on? Exactly. We want to. We want to give him big props. Yeah. I guess the uh, on that chapter um, is that um, uh, all those idols they <clears throat> in the worship of them they they dishonor a living God and uh, mm -hmm. that none of those idols can save. I mean, they're wood. They can't talk. They can't speak. So um, it, it's a discredit to God, a dishonored God, to to be be worshiping idols of, of that such or any idol that that takes your focus and off of God onto a, an object. It's a piece Very of wood good. or stone. Absolutely, absolutely. And well, and, and I, I know, I know, we need to move on, but uh, we're not going to have time. That's we said before we ever started. This is uh, that we're we're up to our necks in this stuff. But uh, this idea of pan, panentheism, I, I think, before we move on from this chapter, it's a very critical idea going forward to the other chapters because you see it show up again uh, on uh, three. Uh, what is it? 594 that's impressive in the fact you look at the page numbers you're reading this and say man we're not even halfway through this book and this yeah. is only one this is only one of three and he's got a fourth one coming out doesn't he yeah 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 yeah, yeah. uh but I, I think it's important on on uh, 594 um he distinguishes between pantheism and panentheism and we'll just note this and move on um he says pantheism uh says that god is the world uh, the, the latter regards the world as part of God, but not the whole. So there's this idea uh, that the world is uh, is essentially a part of God, or if you want to put it in an extension of God, but there still is like a uh, uh, there still is like a spiritual reality behind that that mirrors, depending on who's interpreting it, that mirrors the Christian God in terms of eminence and all that sort of thing. It's just that. Uh, as we're going to see, as it works its way into Christian theology, it works its way into the idea of the world as part of the body of God and the actualization of the world. Um, what part does human behavior and actions have in the world and how does this relate to God? Right. So I think that's important before we move forward. Right. Absolutely. So in, in moving forward now, uh, we want to talk about God and specifically to our point of departure is going to be God as a spirit. We, so, so we're really starting off at the most basic level. We're talking about who is God in his form. Uh, how, how do we understand who God is? And even in God's own words, you know, he says, this is who I am as he takes off on this chapter with Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And right there, he says, you know, God is spirit. Therefore, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. So right there, we get, we have a statement from none other than the Lord himself telling us who God is in his form, in, in his, if, if we can put it in, 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 in such a thing. And, and it's hard to talk about something that doesn't have form, but like use some type of form or, or something. Well, but that's where that's we get in trouble. Is. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And man, and man goes toward that. So, so he says, God is spirit. And and Mike, I want to talk to you. If you could bring out some of these things, maybe comment on what Beaky talks about, because he talks about, um, uh, 
God's uh, incorporeality. In other words, you know, he's, he's not flesh. He's not, he doesn't have a body. He talks about his invisibility. He talks about his intelligent personality that he's not a force like star Wars, but, but he does have intelligence. He does have personality and he talks about his power. But, uh, but before we touch on that, I kind of want to throw it over to Marvin and I want to ask this question. So Marvin, if you were, if you were talking to somebody and, and you, and you, uh, repeated what Jesus said, you know, mm-hmm. uh, God is spirit. So we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if someone re- responded to you and said, uh, all right, Dr. Jones, you say God is spirit, but, but why, why is that so impressive to you? Because Dr. Jones, don't you also believe that man is both material and immaterial that yes, we have a body, but we also have a spirit and even going up one up from that, if you're emphasizing God is spirit so much that he doesn't have a body, what about all these spiritual beings we have? We have holy angels and they are only just spirit. We have fallen angels and they are only just spirit. And you're telling me that God is spirit. And Michael is going to talk about God's incorporeality, that he doesn't have a body. So, so what is so impressive? What is so big about that? Dr. Jones, when you say God is spirit, when we have a spirit and fallen angels and ain't holy angels have spirits our spirits. Well, you first of all affirm the fact that yes, indeed, you are right in the sense that uh, we do have spirits and uh, the uh, and the spiritual realm, if you want to put it like that, angels and demons and so forth, uh, they also have spirits, uh, corruptible spirits in that sense. Irredeemably corrupt, by the way, we should make that, mm-hmm. uh, make, we should make that distinction. Um, uh, yes, you're, yes, you're, you're correct in that, but when we talk about God as spirit, uh, as to opposed to humans that have spirits, one aspect, uh, one aspect of all spirits other than God, that is human, angelic, uh, demonic, uh, whatever the case is, I started to go all Genesis six on us here. Divine counsel. <laughs> Divine on. counsel. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You did it. You did it. It's, all, it's on you. It's uh, out but, there. <laughs> yeah, it's out there. Uh, but if we go with all that, we have to talk about, yes, it is an important distinction. What distinguishes God from that? Uh, all of the other spiritual beings are those which are susceptible to change. That is they're in one state. They can go to another. What accounts for that? The, going back to our discussion of Buddhism and, and Hinduism, in a sense, uh, we would say that what accounts for that is desire, uh, mm-hmm. desire, or as the recent controversy on, on uh, impassibility says, of passions. God is without passions or parts. Passions are the things that move us, that move us to action. Uh, there is either something we have or something we lack that actually guides us into the path of the realization of that. In other words, we are incomplete. Uh, there is a part of us that is always searching for that. Uh, and as since then, it changes our state. It changes uh, both in a corporeal sense, uh, but also in a spiritual sense. Um, and we are after that, we are, though we're identifiable as a person, in terms of our spirit, we are changed by that. We are, uh, we are mutable. We're mutable creatures. God, however, is not like that. Mm. God is someone, and I think Beaky nails it again. Uh, 
and I, I know Mike will deal with this as well, when he says that God is pure act or act is purest, uh, he says that that ultimately is the distinction there, uh, is, the, is the fact that God uh, is not composed of parts uh, in the sense that uh, parts, uh, in the sense that parts would, uh, in a corruptible way would change or lack or need to be supplemented and need, uh, or whatever God is pure act, which means ultimately, uh, or really, first of all, is the theme of the chapter is here that God is spirit. Uh, and as such, then that, um, all the attributes, which, uh, which by revelation, general and special he reveals to us all his attributes then uh are come to us by analogy mm -hmm. uh as acts of pure spirit and so in that sense then whenever we go from god is pure spirit by pure act what we find is at least to our analogical minds uh is it is god in three persons we see god as we see god as, as father we see god as son and we see God as the whole as Holy Spirit. All of the, all of those, as we studied in the previous chapters, uh, have the same essence. Uh, they're all divine, but in God's but in God's pure act, they manifest in these different ways, uh, such that there is no lack, uh, there is no there is no supplementation. Uh, that this is God as he as as he is uh, as he presents himself in this, and we can learn from that. He revealed himself in such a way uh, that as we see him manifested as God, the son, God, uh, God, the father, the son, and Holy spirit, we see there really what, uh, in a sense, to the degree that God reveals himself, we see what God is up to there. Uh, and we see that the role of God, the son changes. Uh, mm. I, uh, Mike and I were talking after church, we were kind of hashing over this a little bit, uh, and talking about Adam, who did Adam talk to in the garden? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if God's a spirit, I mean, who does he chat with? Uh, and I, I think whoever walks in the garden in the cool of the day, uh, maybe God's son, who knows? Uh, uh, that's what I would it, say. Yeah, I would as well. But again, it just shows there. Even in that, there's the uh, there's the active there's the active activity of God, and the, the note there is act activity, act of God in that in the way He shows Himself and He manifests, and, and, and the way He manifests Himself. So even in the Trinity, even in the the Godhead, uh, we see there a pure act in the way that uh, as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit uh, are in three persons. Uh, they have eternally been so, uh, and their actions and their conversations and their being are divine. So that when we talk about God's holiness, uh, it is it is a uh, it is an incorruptible and absolutely complete and independent uh, attribute of God. Where if we can say uh, uh, that uh, if we can say as John does that God is love, we can in the same sense then say that love is God, uh, mm -hmm. if we understand the proper sense. Um, and so then to see God as pure act then and see him displayed in this way then uh, is different from our spirits uh, in the sense that in God's spirit, as he is uh, revealed to us in, in three persons, 
we see there the we see there the immutable nature of that while at the same time and, and i love this what he says to talk about god's vitality and so forth which is uh, an absolutely essential part of this and michael get to that uh, but it also shows that there's life in him and in father son and holy spirit there's life there's a there's there's a there's a spirit giving life in that uh that is not that is not limited by uh, by the humanity of Christ. Uh, ultimately, the key to everything is Christ, mm-hmm. uh, to see him uh, and to see there that, uh, that, that, uh, that Christ is not a, uh, a demiurge or a, uh, or, or a, a devolution of God into an inferior human form. It's God. It's God who takes on humanity into himself. Uh, for the purpose of manifesting the glory of the essence of, of, uh, of the Godhead, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as he does, the relationship between us and between Adam there changes in the sense that uh, even in that promise, as they fall and are banished from the garden, uh, there, is that, there is that promise of what Paul calls a second Adam in a sense there, in a sense there that, uh, that God will restore this. Uh, and we don't know, will it be next week? Will it be next month? That's the whole point is mm-hmm. that it, it's, is that it's in God's hands. And what that, what that affirmation does to us as well is it throws us into a place that a lot of people are not comfortable with. It throws us into the place of the absolute sovereignty and the decrees of God, uh, within the Godhead themselves, because if God is actualized and is not, uh, dependent on, uh, these changes and so forth, then everything is a result of that. Everything comes from his decrees. Uh, and I think that's where these religions we're talking about buck against that in the sense that that is hard to swallow. And again, I love the way he lays this chapter out and ends it with open theism, because I think that, I think that ultimately is, is the end of that. So, uh, that's kind of a, I say thumbnail, not, not really more like a thumb shot (laughs) Uh, 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 view of, of uh, how I would answer that question. Uh, And and that obviously Van, as you know, and Mike, you know, that would, that would be a longer conversation anyway, but that's, that's the way I would go at initially. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Thank you, brother. So, so Mike, looking at these other things that Beaky lists out uh, talking about God being spirit, his incorporeality, you know, not having a body, his invisibility, his personality, his vitality. What, what, what do you pull out of those as far as regarding God and God being just spirit? Okay. Well, one thing that uh, in Marvin County touched on it is this chapter, especially reading, you know, God is spirit. He has no material form. It led me back to the, you know, just asking myself the question, well, then what does it mean when, it, when God says that he created us in his image? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then again, the question, okay, uh, is that just spirit and soul alone? Uh, or is it spirit and soul and, uh, the, and, and the, uh, the, the flesh? Um, and uh, so, it, it, again, it, 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 uh, I think it's getting in and studying this and reading and reflect and, and talking about this, uh, it really just uh, gives a greater understanding. I, I, and I guess in my words of what it means that when we say God is spirit and then, and again, then implying to us that we're created in the image of God, what, what that actually means. I mean, just the, the significance of God being 
spirit that uh, uh, not having any restrictions as far as form, you know, a start point or end point that, that, uh, and that, and that we are created, we, we are creating this image, but it's only a small part of, of the, of the, uh, the, the vast God that we, that we are, we serve, that we worship. So that's what it kind of brought, all brought to me was, you know, we, we do, we have a, 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 a wonderful God who is uh, invisible, who has these, uh, the essence, you know, he, he is life, he is love, and he's the source of that, and he gives that to us. Uh, so I found that very, um, uh, uh, it helped, it helped uh, I guess, uh, develop more of my understanding and, and of, of what, what, when we read in the Bible, God is light, God is love, you know, from, from Hibiki's point, you know, what that brings forth or brings out to us. So the corporality is that he, he's not a material substance. He, he's, he's spirit, um, uh, which means he has no flesh and bones. And so that, you know, that then again, you know, that brought up the question of, you know, okay, of, of okay, if he's not that, then what does it mean to be, uh, be, to be the image or, you know, Christ took on flesh. He wasn't flesh. He took on flesh uh, when he came, when he was, when he came uh, down to, to, to us. Um, uh, he is spirit. Uh, and then he went in and he, uh, Biki, had, uh, under the old covenant, how the, the, uh, they worshiped, uh, the obedience, the, 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 the structure they had, the rituals they had. And then with the new covenant, how, since God is spirit, we are, we as worshipers of God, uh, and followers of God are to worship in, in spirit as well. Um, that, that he wants uh, our, our worship should be holy, should be, but should be spiritual, should be from the heart uh, uh, and not, not to a, a, uh, an object or an item, but to, to a holy spirit, to a God who is spiritual, who, who is spirit that we can't see, who is invisible. And then he says, um, God, is, uh, God is of a spiritual essence and therefore must be worshiped with a spiritual worship. So our worship is spiritual. And I think we do, it should be spiritual from the heart, from sincere, you know, uh, that we should, as, as we, as I look at this, as we approach worship, we, we should prepare our hearts so that we are ready to worship when we step in in a corporate worship setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we don't need physical stuff. I mean, uh, in the corporality, the, 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 we, we're not worshiping an idol. We, we don't have to have a, 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 an object that we're looking at. And uh, I think this may, may be why so, when you see in some uh, different uh, churches. Um, uh, it, it could be various denominations. You don't you don't see anything in uh, any object that's uh, hanging above the altar or hanging uh, in the background of the podium. It's it's just a uh, more or less just a, 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 a um, how can I say it? What I say? I guess a sanitized. There's nothing that uh, there's mm-hmm. no object up there because the focus is on worshiping an invisible holy God. Um, and then he, he, he indicates that if, if those objects, if you're worshiping those objects, and you know, if you're trying to uh, make a God uh, um, an object that is material, that really, that, 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 that he mentioned a phrase, teachers of lies. <laughs> uh, and it, it's a misrepresentation of, of God, because, you know, God is not that object. God is, is, is spirit, is invisible. Um, let's see. Uh, Marvin touched on this, but uh, on God's spirituality, uh, he did highlight this in, in his narrative that that is crucial uh, for the doctrine of the, of the Trinity. And uh, he says, God's unity in the Trinity is the oneness of a spiritual incense, divine incorporality 
also guards the doctrine of the Trinity from any hint of sexual generation for God being without parts is the father, the son without par a partition or passion. So, I mean, uh, I, I, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of information to take in and I, I, and just reading all this and, um, uh, I'm still trying to take it in and 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 uh, and process it. Uh, so that's pretty pretty much the corporality. And he um, he went over um, and, and he ended with said God is spirit. He has no body or form. Is a holy Lord. He has none of the needs and limitations that a physical body experiences. Mm -hmm. So uh, and then uh, he go he went into his invisibility. Um, um, and he said God cannot be seen with the human eye. Uh, so the worship of God is not primarily about visible things or man-made things, but about the invisible reality of scripture perceived by the, our faith, uh, by the faith that, so that we worship the father in spirit and truth. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what we need to do. And that's in uh, Luke 24, 39, uh, that we need to worship in spirit and truth. Um, and uh, he said, he highlighted that when we speak of God's invisibility, we are not merely uh referring merely to the fact that no mortal man can see God and live, that the, uh, it means that uh, his manifestations are not a direct and physical side of God's being, uh, but the object of, of uh, and not the object of physical sensation. He has no size, no shape, no color that our eyes can behold. And it's uh, his attributes are made known through things that he has made known to us. He is eternal power, his Godhead. And uh, so I thought that was an, uh, an important thing that he brought out. Um, uh, he quoted uh, William, uh, I, I guess it's Gouge. Is that how you pronounce it? G-O-U-G-E. He said oh, that. is how I say it. Yeah. Yeah. Gouge, I think, is probably the proper way. I, yeah, I'd call it Gouge, too, because it, it sounds yeah. cooler, but it's Gouge. <laughs> He said, we must conceive God as he is revealed in his word. He is, he being invisible as an object, not for the eyes, but for the ears. And I found that very interesting because, you know, today when we do it, we're, you know, we, our, our image, our, 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 our understanding, our knowledge uh, and knowing God and Christ comes from the written word, you know, hearing, reading, hearing, and not from seeing, but it's from hearing the, 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 uh, the, the word. Um, and then he goes into uh, some uh, uh, key things that he talks about. But, uh, but in, in the, I guess in the end, God's invisibility uh, um, in itself is a revelation of his holy glory. It distinguishes him uh, from us and our world. So he's, um, I, you know, he did just, he, his invisibility, it, I guess it, it doesn't answer the question, but it, it's, it also says that there's also some mystery that has not yet been revealed to us. Uh, he kind of indicated that on at the bottom, I guess, uh, at the end of the section on, on his, inv on his uh, invisibility on, on 615. <clears throat> and then I guess his personality, <clears throat> talks about his personality. Um, <clears throat> and it, um, it, I guess when it, it comes to the personality, um, I would uh, highlight that uh, that he is who he, you know, he says, I am who I am. Um, and he, um, uh, see, he, he's not in personal energy force, but a personal, um, he's, he, he, I am, he, he asserts, I am the Lord, that I, and I will not give it to another. So he's personal in the aspect that he, he, 
he demands this. Uh, he proclaims, look unto me and be saved. He is God and there's no other. Um, so, I mean, he is, he is a personal God. Uh, it, it says intelligent personality uh, in the title of this section. Um, and I guess the, uh, the vitality is, I, I like the expression of vitality, the living water. Water is constantly flowing. And from God, if we're in, in God, and you know, then we, we have a source of power and it's, it's constantly flowing that we're constantly feeding on. And that's the spirit in, in which indwells us. And also the, the reading and studying, praying and meditation on the, on the word of God, which is the living water for us. Um, I guess that's, that's how I, what I took from that chapter. And I, I think that was all you asked me to comment on. But I, to me, the spirituality is, is uh, of God. It, <clears throat> it, it's, uh, he is invisible. And we need to be careful not to associate forms with the, uh, with the invisible God. He is a personal God, and uh, he is, he's a loving God. He gives us life. Um, he, he gives us love, our source of life, our source of love. Uh, they're all from God. They're all from his essence, his being, because he is all that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, before we move on to the next chapter, I just want to point out a, a couple of things here. I know as we were preaching through, uh, going through Ephesians, one of the things I, I pointed out, and I had a couple of people comment that, that they'd never thought of that. And, uh, I had one person who, 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 who didn't quite, uh, agree with, with what I said, but basically the point I made is that even in eternity, you know, we will not see God. We will not see God, yes. the father, we will see yep. Christ and yep. to see Christ is to see the father. And it's interesting that Beaky brought yep. this out on six fourteen When I read it, yep. I was thankful that, okay, yep. well, you know, I'm not, totally yeah. out here just me and a few guys i mean we could add me yeah joe, joel's not leaving you hanging yeah yeah but at yeah. the bottom of 615 he says this even the beatific vision of god in the kingdom most likely will consist not in a sensory apprehension of his essence but a glorious experiential knowledge of god mediated through the incarnate christ right his glorified people the holy angels and the new heaven and our so so even Beaky is saying that you know even there in, in our glorified state in a glorified place heaven you know still we're not going to see God and if you think about what we've seen about God number one he's invisible you know we can't see him and if somehow we could see him it would be in his form which you know I would just assume part parcel would contain his glory and no creature can behold that and live I mean he tells us that all the right. way in the Old Testament when he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock. And even there, you know, as he passes by, he's using forms, you know, and, 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 and things to, to show his glory, you know, in a mediated way to, to, to Moses, because again, he couldn't come out full blazing and he couldn't come out, you know, as a spirit because the spirit is invisible. So, so I thought that was important. And just a couple more things before we leave this and Marvin, you hit on these, but I just wanted to, um, to just read real quick what uh, Beaky says uh, about them because that they are complicated uh, topics. And uh, one is on his, uh, uh, if I can find it here, uh, uh, the, the anthropomorphism, in other words, talking about That's God in his, uh, in, you know, in, in, in figurative right. language that we can understand. Uh, or analogical language, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says in, on page 612, uh, second paragraph, 
It may be further objected that the Bible often speaks of God's body parts, his hand, arm, eye, foot, and so on. These are examples of anthropomorphic language, figures of speech that metaphorically describe God as if he were a man. The literary device of anthropomorphism is not inherently theological, for it can be used of anything, such as when David compared the son to a bridegroom and a strong man to run a race. And then he says at the very bottom of the page, when we interpret the Holy Scriptures, we must recognize that anthropomorphic language communicates important truths about God, but we must not attribute to God all that the anthropomorphism implies, lest we dishonor God with creaturely limitations. Rather, we must interpret anthropomorphisms in light of the revealed attributes of God. And so, uh, so basically, the point that he's saying is, is as as God speaks to us this way, Calvin said God was stooping down to speak to us basically in baby language, so that we could understand something, we could understand a concept of who God is but yet not apply, you know, these figures, these uh, metaphors to him in a literal way. So we're not saying, okay, God has eyes, you know, Second uh, Chronicles 69, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Okay, well, the Bible says God has eyes. God has eyes, right? Well, no, that's anthropomorphic language. It, it's to let us know that God sovereignly sees all, knows all. It, 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 it's, it's speaking to His omnipotence that He knows everything, but it's using you know the 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 metaphor of eyes to to let us see that that He is seeing and knowing everything. Although God doesn't learn anything, I mean, this is He knows because He's decreed it all. So, and that's that's another thing we could go into. But another thing I wanted to to just point out, Marvin, is uh, what you said, and you did a great job on it. But it it can be such a complicated thing to try to get your mind around. Uh, God is pure act. And so uh, to add to what you said, I just wanted to, to quote Beaky on page 618, uh, middle paragraph, and then down to the end of that middle paragraph. He says this, from the biblical truth that God is living spirit, we may derive the idea that God is constantly active or is pure act. And there he's got the Latin there, the actus purus. <laughs> spirit is living and dynamic by definition. Motionless wind or breath is a contradiction in terms. God's spirit and life are not merely something he has. He is spirit and life. And then he goes on to say, God has no unrealized potential, no change necessary to reach perfection, no need for an outside influence to activate him to become or to do what he otherwise would not be or do. He is fully actualized and fully realized in all that he can be, yet he is not frozen, but free. His independent life frees him to do whatever he wills. He is the living God, the eternal spirit, the holy I am. And so uh, that goes again to to the complicated sort of physical uh, philosophical term of of pure act. That that sounds so intimidating. How, how can we picture God as pure act? Well, again, it and, goes... and it's all, and it's also why um, uh, Thomism has uh, uh, has inserted itself in the discussion so strongly because that's an Aristotelian idea as it comes to us through Thomas as well, and it really is the the power also of of his cosmological of his arguments for God. 
Exactly, exactly. Well, well, let's quickly move to chapter 33. Our time is running out. And so this is a complicated one we have to hit in just a very, very brief fashion. But, uh, and I'll just uh, throw this out to you guys just to make comments, pull out of this chapter, things that you would like to say, but just to kind of kick it off, you know, when we're talking about simplicity, what are we talking about? We're talking about, you know, God not being made up of parts, uh, uh, theologians have said he's not a composite being. He's not a compounded being. Uh, he is simple. Uh, uh, James Dozal's book, the title of it really hits this mm-hmm. idea just full on that all that is in God is right. God. And right. so basically what that says, you know, God is not made up of his parts. Uh, he does not possess his attributes as if, you know, his attributes are one thing and he's one thing. Uh, basically what it is, is his essence, God, who he is in his essence is his attributes and his attributes are his essence. So, so we need to take actions. Exactly. Exactly. Is his perfections, his actions. And we need to take those things together. And again, it goes back to his title. I think that was a great title for his book that all that is in God simply is God. And again, for all that to, to, to work, uh, simplicity is the key that God is, is simple. It distinguishes between, um, the infinite eternal, uh, God in his essence and, and us who are finite and temporal and, uh, and, and mutable, you know, we, we, we can change. And so, uh, so I think that's a very, very important. It almost sounds offensive to say God is simple, you know, because when we say someone is simple, that's usually a nice way of us saying, well, someone is dumb, you know, or something like that. Uh, not, not a nice thing to say at all. And and so to attribute it to God, well, yeah. God is simple. It's almost like, okay, well, God is easy to understand. God is, you know, he's simple, but, but that's yeah. not the meaning uh, no, it I, is I, to say that God is not composed of parts that he, he is his attribute. So everything right. about God is God. And for God not to have one of those would be for God not to be God. But if, if his attributes were outside of him, if you had God here and you had his attributes here and he has these, he possesses these. And if one was to, to go off or go missing, as it were, uh, he could still be God here. And yet he's got, you know, instead of 10 attributes, nine attributes, uh, but that's not the way it is. I mean, he is his yes. attributes. So uh, I'll, I'll just throw it over to you guys. I know y'all are chomping at the bit to get in on that, but uh, but uh, clear it up a little more, make it more simple for us to explain. No pun intended. No, I think I, I think this idea of simplicity again on a, on a human level. One of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. Uh, we, we, we see, you're not, you're, I, you're not about to describe God as a box of chocolates. No, no, I'm not. Okay, uh, again, okay. I'm going to get, I'm going to give, I'm going to give mad props to this idea of simplicity, uh, is because the theme of that movie is that, uh, he is a, that Forrest Gump is a simple person. Uh, and he is in many ways. I mean, he's, uh, uh he's single-minded in his devotion. I mean, he's, uh, um, uh, he's, uh, for the most part content. Uh, he, he does have longings, for instance, uh, uh, human relationships and stuff. And, and he enters into those. Uh, but when you see the constellation of events that surround him and the greatness that surrounds him just by being who he is, uh, for instance, he meets the president of the United States. I mean, and, uh, I forget the particulars of it, but he does, he, he does 
he does some weird thing when he meets Lyndon Johnson, you know, uh, that would be uncharacteristic of stepping into the presence of the United States. So that idea of simplicity there, but, but, uh, is, uh, something I think on a, on a human, on a human level is showing that simplicity can actually, uh, be profoundly glorious in a sense that, um, if you're single-minded in your devotion and you're a man of integrity, uh, then, then that's, then that's it. I, um, uh, Alistair Begg has something that I've heard him say. Uh, he, he says this to his church members. He says this to his fellow elders. Uh, and he says this in counseling to his church members as well. Uh, it's very simple advice. And I think it's very profound advice. Keep your story simple. Uh, and I think that, uh, what he means by that is that, uh, don't don't get dragged into this into uh don't get dragged into temptations things that are glittery and shiny things that uh, uh that deviate uh from 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 the path of discipleship and obedience to the degree that you do it complicates your your story it complicates your relationships uh, so at that point then uh what should be a straightforward story and which should be, uh, in its simplicity should be beautiful. Now you've got, uh, warts, you've got cancerous cell, you got other things that are affecting, that are affecting the body there. Uh, but, uh, last thing I'll say here is simplicity, um, is simplicity in terms of, uh, in, in terms of, um, the way it's demonstrated in the, in the Trinity and the triune God. Uh, again, I think a big part of this, and going back to our last chapter in, try, in terms of um, uh, describing this, I, I think the difference. I think the difference there is a fact uh, that in pure act and the God as it as it's revealed to us, uh, there is that filial relationship there, the Father and the Son, uh, and so analogically to us. Uh, we most often find ourselves using anthropomorphisms, uh, trying to use language that's descriptive of that kind of filial relationship. Uh, but again, I think that is what distinguishes us. Going back to Mike's earlier question, how does that relate to God's spirit? Uh, that uniquely distinguishes us from the rest of the creation. As we read Psalm 8 yesterday, that's what David says there as well. What is man that you're mindful of him? You're a little lower. He, uh, he, he's created a little lower than the angels. And in reality, he is. Uh, but yet at the same time, he's created uh, as, the on, uh, as the only being uh, who will uh, enter in that kind of personal, vital relationship with God uh, and is capable uh, and is capable of growing in that sense. And so God is a father to him. And so then that to see then displayed in the triune God, that relationship between the father and the spirit, particularly when, particularly in John's gospel, when Jesus comes to the earth and you see uh, that often repeated story, I only do what I see my father doing. Uh, there, there's this absolute dependence upon his father so much so that prayer, uh, even though we only get glimpses of it in a few verses, but prayer is vital to him. Uh, he's, uh, he's a guy that we gather doesn't sleep a whole lot. Uh, that, uh, whenever he takes, uh, 
that whenever he wakes up early in the morning, like we all do it sometime, you wake up three o'clock, your eyes are at the ceiling. Man, I can't go back to sleep. <laughs> you know, he takes that opportunity, not by accident, but on purpose, actually, uh, to go and to commune with his father. And we get to glimpse that. And particularly in John 17, in the high priestly prayer, we get to glimpse that in a way where Jesus promises, not only is that my relationship with the father, but in me, that's also your relationship with him as well. Uh, and again, the, our encompassing of deity is not that we're going to become divine and not that we're becoming godlike, but where we're going to become like Christ, uh, union with Christ is absolutely the key to this is to understanding God, knowing God and to knowing him in a way, uh, that was failed by our first parents, uh, mm -hmm. in which God came to redeem us. So that's what I get from it. All right, Mike. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll start before we started the th the uh, uh, our podcast this morning. Uh, it, you know, when on this this chapter titled "The uh, Simplicity of God," uh, you know, God's simplicity. <clears throat> I go back and I think of uh, you know He is one, and therefore you, you know He's uh, He's not fragmented. He is that that makes uh, him uh, the, the simplicity of God. But it goes back. You know, you you look at God's word is the simplicity and. And God's got a, you know, it's, it's through the work of, the, of God, uh, you know, for we, we, you know, we were sinners and we're, we're dead. And, but it's the simplicity of the, of the gospel message and how the simplicity of the gospel message, which not all, which not all can, can see or understand uh, the um, uh, uh, transitions into the simplicity of the worship we have for a, a God who, who has simplicity, who is one, who is not fragmented, who our devotion is, is to, 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 to one God, not many gods. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the God of God, the King of Kings. And so that's what it brought, brought to me is the simplicity. You know, he's, his, he, he, is, uh, he has simplicity. Uh, he, he's one. He's not fragmented. Therefore, uh, this, it, 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 to me, it spins off into and transitions off into the simplicity of God's word. But yet, we don't we don't understand all God's word. It's 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 uh, it's the revelation of the truth of God's word is 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 given to us over a progression through our our sanctification process as we, we grow more in the knowledge and love of, of of our God. We gain more of truth of the simplicity of God. But, it's still, he's still a vast God, mysterious God that we will never fully understand. Uh, so that's what I got out of, out of uh, uh, this chapter. Uh, mm -hmm. Wonderful. And, and, and Marvin and I, we, we talked earlier, we saw this in, in uh, the, the uh, in, in, in Scotland with the 20 schemes of worship that we attended. Mm. Yeah. It was reflective of the simplicity really did uh, devoid of a lot of the ornamentation we get just being in a house where you've got people that some of them freshly other than for years have been snatched from the pit of hell and been saved by God's grace and just lifting their voices to the rafters. I mean, that's what it's all about. Uh, union with Christ and glorifying God in that union and growing in that union and knowing God through that union. You could see it displayed so clearly there. I agree with Mike. It was a great illustration of that. Mm, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, I just want to point out one thing and we'll bring it to a close and I'll kick it over to you guys. If y'all have any other, uh, parting shots, closing statements or whatever, but 
Uh, I love how Beaky ends this chapter because he ends with practical applications of divine simplicity because you can almost hear someone say, well, this is so complicated. There's no way this could ever factor in so my what? daily life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so what does it mean? Okay. We know some things about God. Okay. We know he is his attributes. He's simple, but, but what does that mean for me today? And he gives three applications, but I, I just want to point out the second one, because I, I think, I think this really, really hits in a, in a wonderful way. He says this, Mickey writes, Divine simplicity promotes sincere evangelical holiness and love. When the Lord revealed his simplicity in statements such as God is light and God is love, he did not place them in theoretical discourses, but in admonitions to practical Christian living. Consider these statements in their context. And then he gives 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So, so there's a theological statement. There's a statement about God, about God and his simplicity, really. And then he says this, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. And then he has first John chapter four, verses seven and eight, beloved, let us love one another. And now here comes the theological statement. For God, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. There, there's the actual the, theology proper statement there. So he says, God is love. So before, he says, God is light, and here he says, God is love. And then, and then Beaky comments on it and says this, the knowledge of God's simplicity then stimulates Christian sincerity. And he says this, Nichols, this is Greg Nichols, uh, comments, quote, John does not encourage speculations about God's hidden essence. Rather, he enables God's people to distinguish those who truly know God from those who falsely claim to know him, end quote. And then Beaky goes on to say, if we truly know this God who is what he is, then we will demonstrate it by walking with him and becoming like him. God is so completely identified with his light and love that it is impossible to know him without walking in light and love. And I just think that that, that is so practical. Uh, when we think about who God is and in, in, in everything that we talk about, the doctrine of God, we are in a creaturely way to be like him. If he has saved us, if we are one of his, if we are to pursue God, if we are to be holy as God is holy, we are in our creatureliness to whatever degree we can to emulate who God is. And here we have just a couple of attributes, his holiness, his light, his love, and we are to emulate that. And so, I mean, just how wonderful that is for practical living, you know. We talk about the doctrine of God. It's not some pie-in-the-sky theology. Let's really dig in. Let's learn who God is so that, that we can then derive from that who we are to be. And we'll never be God. I'm not, so we're, we're not Mormons here, you know. Uh, but to whatever degree, there are those communicable attributes. In other words, God is love. I'm not love, but I can love you know, then I should love. And that mirrors who God is in a creaturely sort of way, a creaturely sense. So I thought that was just intensely practical there. So uh, guys, any closing things you guys want to say? Briefly, I would just say, I agree 
with everything you just said, thought was well put. Uh, I would say that it takes that it takes the confusion, complication, the simplicity of it is that all of this is in union with Christ. Mm. Uh, we will know everything about God we need to know in Christ. Uh, and we're talking about the beatific vision of heaven as well. Christ will be Christ will uh, in his excellence will not only be that be uh, uh, worthy of worship, but he will also be uh, he is the he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And mm. so as such, then I think he will be by the Holy Spirit will be our great teacher as well. Amen. Mike. I, I guess I would go back. It would end with, uh, we've kind of said this throughout that uh, uh, we don't have a checklist of things we have to go through. Uh, 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 we have a, 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 a holy, um, simple uh, God who, uh, who, um, who, who, who demands uh, our worship and, and our, our worship only not and not to other idols uh, or other things that may pull us away from 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 God because you know our love our light our love I mean everything we we have comes from God our, uh, and th- we have that unity and uh, that unity uh, I mean we see it displayed and and we, even in redeeming grace we hear a lot of people comment th- and they're thankful for it. and that's one thing I'm thankful for is the unity uh, that in, in our local body of, of redeeming grace we have that that unity of love you can see it in our and and the people that we share that we have uh, uh that love and the uh, and and the light that, uh, that that we have received from christ our savior so i so i i think that that's my my closing comments on all this that it's just that we have a simple god who we can worship there's not a checklist of things we have to go through um and that it, it's just we we serve a wonderful loving uh kind uh a God who, who is simple, uh, but uh, that we're learning more about. They will never know the full vision of, of, of the Holy God that we serve. And I, I, that's, that's what I take away from all this. And it's just, it's uh, um, very uh, uh, reading this, which, which, which complements what we, we have in our, in, in God's word, uh, just, uh, just opens up a vast uh, arrayness of other questions I have in my mind, that rhetorical mm-hmm. that I may even, Try to to expand further, like uh, uh, the, the 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 image, you know, the 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 you know, God is spirit, and then we have you know the 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 walking in the garden and such. So I mean, it, it's going to cause me to dig deeper into these subjects and, and read on them and study them and, and try to gain more knowledge in these areas to uh, to uh, I guess to give me confidence in, in my, in, in what I believe and why I believe uh, based on, uh, on, on biblical scripture. So I, it's right. wonderful. It's, this is, these are wonderful sessions for me. <laughs> yeah. Same, same yeah. here. And yeah, then, brother, you, you stumbled on something. I mean, when yeah. I know with me, the more I learn, the more questions I have too, the more I feel I don't know. So yeah. I don't know if that applies to Marvin, but, uh, but well, it does, it does even that. more. Uh, and there came a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Amen. Amen. Well, Mike, would you mind closing us uh, with a word of prayer? And, uh, and, you know, uh, let me just say this before we get off of here, you know, Beaky at the end of each chapter has these wonderful hymns that he puts at the end that, that basically, you know, is a hymn to the theme of what the chapter is. So the, those are just wonderful to read and meditate on afterwards so i don't know maybe we 
for everyone. Like we had three chapters today. Maybe we each one should have sang that hymn after we got done with each chapter. Do you think we should oh. start incorporate that? Or? No, I think <laughs> I, I I think what what meager listenership we have might actually find ourselves uh, being unsubscribed. Absolutely. <laughs> if they heard me sing, they would run away faster well, you, than they've ever you, run before. Even more, even more me. I think we would have to lean on Mike as the solo. <laughs> Maybe well, so. uh, I, I think I would break the microphone, but uh, like you know, people <laughs> say, they break the camera because uh, a real quick story I'll share with everyone out there and, and, the, and the, we'll listen to this. But uh, uh, after our Kathleen and I got married and you know, we were, we were attending our church service uh, together as a couple and Kathleen would, we were singing hymns, she would look around and I, and, and I would kind of look over and say, what's wrong? And then so uh, one Sunday, I finally asked her, we were after church and we were headed back home. And I said, what was wrong? You're looking around. And then she goes, well, was, someone was really singing horrible. And, I, and then she goes, and then I discovered who it was. I go, well, who was it? She goes, it's you. <laughs> All tuned out of key. Oh, wow. Wow. And I said, well. It's all for the glory of God. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I I can throw into that story real quick, not to make this any longer, but we were over at my mother-in-law's house, April's mom, Brenda and James. And, uh, and I thought they had left for the day to go shopping. And James was, I think out in his shop or whatever. I thought I was the only one in the house. I just needed to, to, to go take a quick shower. And so I didn't think anyone was in there. And I mean, I was up in there and I think I was like belting out some, how great thou art like to the top of my life. I mean, Marvin, I was getting into some Georgia Beverly shade territory here. You know, I mean, it was high and exalted. Was it, it was up there and, uh, and, and they had come in, I believe, or, or something. And April's mom turned to April and asked her, is he trying to sing that bad? And April said, no, that's how he really sings. He's just really singing from the heart. And she said, Oh no, something like that. So I'm bad. I'm very bad. Well, we, right. we, we have a fellowship of suffering there. Don't we? Amen. Much suffering. All right, brother, Mike, can you, uh, can you close us today? Yes. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we just want to give you thanks for, for, for who you are, Lord, and, and what you have done in our lives. Lord, I hope this uh, discussion uh, this morning that we, we have uh, uh, entered into, Lord, I, I just hope it, it, it brings to the forefront to all who listen that, uh, that there are idols out there. They, are, they have been incorporated into our culture uh, that we live in and maybe even in our lives with our families uh, that we grow up in. Lord, I just pray that this discussion would, would open the eyes uh, for all, that, uh, that this is an important topic, and it, it, we need to be on guard against idols, Lord, that, that, that don't creep into our, our lives, our routines, Lord, that we would uh, reject the idols and, and, and keep from them, Lord, and that our focus would be on you, a, a, holy, a holy God, a, a simple God, uh, whose, whose word uh, you have you you reveal to us, Lord, it, uh, and that that, that 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 simplicity of who you are, the essence of who you are, that we would uh, that we would see that you are a holy and righteous God, and that your 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 word, your love, uh, the light you have, uh, Lord, is what we need to walk in and what we need to be. We need to be single, focused on you as the single holy God, the King of Kings, the only God, the only true God. And that we put away false idols who cannot save, who cannot talk, who, who discredit you, Lord. 
May we be always on guard and on watch. Uh, Father, I thank you for this time that we've, we've, we've had here this morning. Uh, thank you for the blessing of it. I thank you for just the, 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 the gift of life and breath that we have. For it's in your name, I pray. Amen. 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 Well, brothers, thank y'all so much. And Lord willing, we will do this in a couple of weeks with three more chapters. Okay. Okay. Y'all have okay. a great day.